Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Taylor. And we're the hosts of the Anxiety Chicks podcast, where we dive deep into the reality of anxiety, nutrition, and mental health. Listen as we explore all things anxiety healing while keeping it real, including our own struggles with mental health. We'll bring our expertise as healing professionals to the conversation while discussing the tools and strategies you need to heal the anxious mind. Listen to the Anxiety Chicks on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Chicks podcast. I'm Allison Sepanera. And I'm Taylor. Welcome back, Taylor. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. I was having a little bit of a um, stomach issue the other day, such as life. My IBS is so fun. Mm. Um, Just, you know, comes and goes. It's just great. It's part of life now. I used to get so anxious with with it all the time, but whatever. Now I'm like, it's good. Um, How is everything with your kidney infection? We are all better. Rolling with the punches. I think going through things like that just makes you such a – Sometimes, like, I hate saying it's, like, good to go through, but it just kind of makes you just more equipped to handle hard times. Like, you're just like, I know I got to do this, and I just got to get through it. Like, that thing I had, like, um, when I had COVID in November or whatever, and then, like, this, it's just, like, now I'm, like, okay, I'm, like, hitting my arm. I'm, like, just put the antibiotics in me. I don't even care at this point. <laughs> no, I totally – I it's agree. <laughs> it's like exposure 100. therapy. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. Unwanted exposure therapy. (laughs) No, for sure. Which, by the way, we're having Kimberly Quinlan on again. If you guys don't know, she was on like episode five, like one of our first episodes talking all about – she's an OCD expert and talks a lot about exposure. We're going to have her on again soon to talk about that. I'm excited. Um, But you're right. Yeah. That's kind of how like my IBS thing, my, my, whenever I get like that, that was a huge trigger for my anxiety, just like my stomach and like knowing I needed like a bathroom nearby and all this stuff. I posted something the other day about how I went to New York city to see Billy Joel in concert and I was so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, if it was like five or 10 years ago, I would have literally avoided it. Like the plague, like I, the crowds, New York City, like feeling like I didn't have a bathroom right next to me or even well, like the travel me, to New Correct me if I'm wrong. You were there on 9-11 too. 100%. Yeah. The day after <laughs> yeah, was that 9-11. Uh, yeah. yeah. So 
Um, I and you can see the reel that I did because I posted just me at the show, and I thought to myself, "Wow, if this was five or ten years ago, I would have never done this." And I actually had such a nice time; it was so enjoyable. Um, definitely crowded and stuff, but. And on 9-11, I actually ended up going into a church um, in New York City and just saying a prayer. It was so nice. But I was really proud of myself because I was like able to not only just get through something like that, but I enjoyed it. And uh, it takes a lot you know, of work to do that and a lot of mindset yeah. work for me to, to practice that. Yeah. But that was kind of exposure too. I'm like, I'm doing this. And I know it's not my favorite thing, but – yeah. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. Um, you know, we're actually going to talk today a little bit about that kind of cycle you go through when you struggle with anxiety. Um, and it kind of piggybacks on all of that stuff because, you know, as you go through certain things that you're scared of, um, you know, you expose yourself to things, you actually face them head on. And when we talk a lot about the cycle of anxiety, it's a lot about avoidance. And that's actually why it's important to expose yourself to some fears because that cycle you get stuck in if you just continuously avoid it. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about the cycle and then kind of how to get through it and what you can do um, to move through the anxiety cycle and kind of break that a little bit. Um, but yeah, so let's just get into it. What do you think? Have you ever been on the hunt for a new doctor and you ask literally everyone you know for their recommendation? You know, a doctor who actually gets you, listens to you, and makes you feel super comfortable. And finally, after weeks of searching, you find the one. Not only do they do all that, but they're also close by. They're your best friend's doctor as well. And you've just heard the greatest things. So you call the office and they have an appointment available, heck yeah. But then the receptionist tells you this perfect doctor doesn't take your insurance. Wipe your tears away, put away the ice cream, and head over to ZocDoc to find and book the doctor who is right for you and takes your insurance. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. These doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients, not bots. The average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 48 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately with just a few app taps. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. Go to ZocDoc.com slash AnxietyChicks and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash anxiety checks zocdoc.com slash anxiety checks i think that the cycle a lot of people will be like i wasn't even anxious i wasn't even nothing even happened right they just they just remember the symptoms and the panic right 
But a lot of times before that, there's this whole cycle that happens that leads to that anxious feeling. And a lot of times you have to kind of go through this in your mind, go through the cycle in your mind and educate yourself on it. Because once you educate yourself on it, you're like, oh, I did have X, Y, and Z that happened this morning that might have began the cycle. And then now I'm here at a 10 out of 10 anxiety. Yeah. But yeah, it might have so been like what- a two or three in the morning. Right. And so I talk a lot about too, like the rating scale and stuff in my book, The Anxiety Healer's Guide, and just how important it is to be have this self-awareness. But there actually are four stages of anxiety of the cycle, um, which people might not recognize, which keeps you in the cycle. Um, and so it's sort of this like circle, if you think of these four stages, like at the top and where the first stage comes in is when anxiety happens. So what you know part of part of breaking the stage we'll talk about later is kind of identifying your triggers and stuff but as far as stage 1 goes anxiety happens you're triggered by some type of stressful situation and then you go into fight or flight mode right you might have intrusive thoughts you might have really scary images in your mind scary memories um of course, physical sensations. There might be social situations that make you anxious, certain activities, events, anything that kind of triggers, right? And that first stage is when, you know, you feel the nervousness, the impending danger or doom, increased heart rate, you feel really weak or tired. You might have racing thoughts. You have trouble sleeping, maybe excessive worrying, GI issues. Hello, me. Um, and so you are really focused on these types of symptoms and that even raises the stress level even more, right? And you become like totally overwhelmed. You feel so out of control and you just become, everything becomes so intense, right? So that's kind of essentially, if you think of your panic disorder, right? When all those physical symptoms are happening, Mm -hmm. it's just so intense. And what's your first response to that? Like, those things don't feel good, right? No. Right. Right. So what you're not going to want to continue to have them. You are going to want to avoid it, mm-hmm. right? So that is just such a huge – that comes to the next stage of, of the cycle, which is avoidance. And that is mm-hmm. a huge part of why um, we get stuck in it because yeah. we want to avoid it. And we mm-hmm. don't want to feel these these physical symptoms. We don't want to have obviously feel tired, weak, racing heart, all of that. They're very uncomfortable symptoms. And we really don't want to feel them. Um, I mean, I think that it's it's so hard not to I think there's a difference though between like totally avoiding the symptoms and like running away from it, like really resisting it versus like trying to do certain exercises or something that actually activates our parasympathetic nervous system and helps distract us a little bit, which is we'll see in in a little bit, which is more short, short term relief um, versus like resisting, resisting, resisting. Um. So, okay. So that's kind of the first stage, right? This anxiety that's at the top. Now, when you go around the circle, the next stage is avoidance because a lot of people don't want to feel that, like I said. So when symptoms become too uncomfortable, you will do anything to avoid whatever that stimuli is, right? Whatever that trigger is. So some examples of this might be, you know, um, 
I used to be really scared to give presentations in school and in college. And I remember when I was I would, I would do anything that I could to skip them or like be sick or like try and ask my teacher if I could just write a paper instead or something. And I remember in my, um, I was studying abroad in London and our last, last, uh, you know, assignment was to give this presentation and, but it was in front of like all of my friends. Cause I had been studying abroad with them and it was only like eight of them. And that scared me more than just like a huge classroom of people I didn't know. And I did everything to get out of this. I, the guy was not letting me. And finally, I think like, I don't really remember, but I think I like had a panic attack in front of him or something. And he was like, oh my gosh, okay. Like he didn't know how to handle me. <laughs> and he was like, fine, you don't have to. I was like, oh my gosh, thank God. Like that was like an example. And I actually worked through that a lot as I got into my career, um, I worked through that. But anyway, that's an example of avoidance. Using drugs or alcohol to like numb your feelings, procrastinating on things, avoiding confrontation and like relationships, um, and obviously like avoiding or removing yourself from a situation, like escaping something. Um, and even like going to sleep can be an avoidance tactic too. Yeah, definitely. Were there anything that you can think of like when you were going through your panic disorder or other anxieties that you had a lot of avoidance? Well, something I wanted to note it wanted to note is it's kind of interesting. You know, you say the second step is avoidance, but a lot of times we find ourselves avoiding the wrong things. So we're engaging in all the things we maybe should be avoiding, and we're avoiding the things that actually aren't dangerous and we just think are dangerous. So like spending so much time on social media and on our phones, like that's something we should be avoiding. And it seems like when we're like avoiding going to public places, avoiding like because a panic attack might help happen there, or whatever. We're at home just on our devices, scrolling social media. So it's really interesting. You should think about like when you're when you're avoiding something, it's like, what are the things I should be avoiding? And maybe I should avoid those things first and then see how I feel from that. Because you know, we drink the caffeine, like you said, the alcohol. You find yourself avoiding using alcohol. But alcohol is something we should be avoiding if we're feeling this anxious. Well, so and that's – yeah. So that's actually what um, some examples that I was saying of like the avoidance of the stimuli. So, you know, like if social media is the stimuli that's actually exacerbating your anxiety, um, you know, that's that's not – really where you want to continue to be, of course, yeah. right? Um, but some people just do that incessantly because they're trying to distract themselves from other things that are making them anxious, right? Maybe it's not actually the social media. Maybe it's like the internal dialogue they're having with themselves about how much they stink because they're not doing this like other people are, or they're seeing yeah. like all this news about death and then they're getting health anxiety because they're seeing this news and it's like inter internalizing all of it. Yeah. Um, Right. So that's kind of like the avoiding their anxieties about it on social media. They're trying to avoid like their their fear about all of that. And mm -hmm. in doing that, they're distracting themselves by continuously yeah. doing it. So that's why just that's why what you'll learn, I talk about distraction tools all the time in my book and mm -hmm. I love them. And I think they're amazing for regulating your nervous system when they're really high on that rating oh, yeah. scale and your brain is not thinking rationally to get yourself back just into the present. It is very, very helpful, but mm -hmm. it is not long-term relief. 
Right. Distraction is definitely not long-term relief, but it very Mm -hmm. much in the short term can help activate your parasympathetic state, um, your rest and digest, which is very helpful in those moments. Um, But yeah, so was there anything though that you you remember like when you had panic disorder that you would, or even now that you still kind of avoid that you're not really? So when I had panic disorder, it was like everything became avoiding. Like if it, it started small and then it was like, if I would have a bad experience somewhere, that place would just be totally cut off my, like not going there again, not doing an activity like that again. Like anytime I felt that high level of panic somewhere, which when you have panic disorder, that can happen in the most random and doesn't even make sense places like a pet smart when you're just buying your dog food, like the place that shouldn't make right. you anxious. And so yeah. I think like for a lot of people, including myself, that leads to agoraphobia and you just start mm-hmm. avoiding literally everything. And it's so unhealthy because I was labeling all these places as bad and the places themselves weren't bad. The situations themselves weren't bad, but I was by leaving those places. So when we start like avoiding and we kind of put in our head that that is a bad place. I can't go back there. We're making the place bad and almost associating it with panic, which every time we go there, we're going to feel that panic feeling again because we have labeled that place as bad. And so it gets to this point where you start losing control of kind of everywhere you you go because you might just feel anxiety sometimes when you go places, but it's not the place's fault. It's not the situation's fault. It's that your dysreg- your nervous system's dysregulated in general. And so a lot of times when I would feel these feelings at these places, I would just leave, right? It's the worst thing we yep. can do when we're there feeling anxious is escaping. It's the worst thing. That's because the avoidance, Because you are yeah. telling your mind, okay, this was a bad situation and we got out of it. Thank God we got out of it before something bad happened. When in reality, if you would have stayed and felt the panic, something bad probably wouldn't have happened. But we we almost like give ourselves a high five in our brain. Like we did it. We escaped like danger. And so totally. our brain thinks we we like did a good thing. But if we would have stayed, you know, we probably would have so, been fine. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And that's so true about agoraphobia because, um, you know, we talked actually um, in the driving anxiety episode, Drew talked a lot about this because a lot of people with that type of anxiety will struggle with um, agoraphobia. And a lot of people think agoraphobia is just like, ooh, staying in your house like all the time. Yeah. And yes, it can look like that. But really, it's it's the avoidance of certain mm-hmm. environments because of this fear yep. that something bad will happen and you just avoid and avoid. Um, and so, yeah, that can, it can really, that's why, you know, at this stage, when you avoid something and you continuously do it, you can get stuck in this cycle. Um, so some other avoidance behaviors, um, may look like safety behaviors. So, um, if you struggle with any kind of like obsessive compulsive disorder, some safety behaviors are like compulsions for people that have OCD. And they're sort of subtle avoidance techniques to help cope with anxiety provoking situations. So this can include reclining on medication or Googling your symptoms or having your cell phone nearby um, and freaking out if you know you don't, if you, something happens to your cell phone. Um, 
seeking reassurance from others. So being dependent on like a reassurance from someone. So like if you start panicking or you start feeling like this anxiety, you have to call somebody or the person needs to be with you, which is very unhealthy. It's great to have a support system, but to be dependent on that is not healthy. Um, like making sure someone else is with you, not healthy. That's like a dependent thing. Um, or always having like an exit plan. It's 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 okay, I think, to have a sort of a plan in your mind if you start knowing your triggers and you're thinking, okay, I can feel myself physically responding to this anxiety and, and you know, what kinds of things can I do if I start getting um, – the anxiety gets more intense. You know, if I work with people that struggle with anxiety at work, I'll say, you know, take a couple minutes in the bathroom and do some breathing and that's okay to do. Um, but I think what they're saying here is like completely just exiting, like someone at work who would be like, I have to go home. I'm leaving now. Something like that. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, so that's like really the hardest part, I think, with stage two. That's like what we really want to try and work on as like clinicians is to help uh, my clients know how to face this, but in a very safe way for them. Um, so like creating a toolkit like I do with my clients, it's an in integral part of this. Um you know, trying to drop safety behaviors and replace them with like healthier behaviors mm -hmm. um, and regulate themselves. And so oh, that's going just something. Back to, going yeah. back to what you were asking me about if I still have anything that I struggle with, with like, mm -hmm. I would say it's more of like safety behaviors. So it's like, I don't have the everyday anxious thoughts about something, but like there are things I still do that it's like in my head, I'm preventing something from happening. So like with like, flying longer than like a certain amount of hours, I think I'm like preventing a blood clot from happening. So that's like a fear that's still there. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, a safety behavior is like knowing where the closest hospital is, wherever you're going. Like that's, that's still feeding the anxiety. Like, yeah. what does it look, what does it look like to go somewhere and not know where emergency is? Totally. You know, yeah. that's challenging those anxious thoughts that are safety behaviors and replacing them mm -hmm. with, even if I will be okay, you know? I have that with um, when, as a passenger in a car. Mm. I like – I always need to be driving. Mm. I love to drive. I feel yeah. like I, I'm in control when I drive. Again, back to this mm -hmm. driving anxiety episode last week. Um, and when I'm – yes, that's sort of a safety behavior for me. It's – it it. I, I do it. I've done it. And, and yeah. I'm getting a lot better at, especially in like an Uber or something in the backseat. I really get really car sick in the backseat. I do not like that feeling. I don't think anyone does. So that's something also I struggle with. Um, but I've done it. I've recently done it and um, doing it more and more because Lessons. I'm trying yeah. Yeah. And um, there have been a couple of times where I know I was going to be in like a car in the backseat and I actually just put one of those like um, motion sickness patches on my ears and it helps mm -hmm. so much. And it's like I make it work and I know I'll be okay even if I'm like feeling right. sick. I'm not going to like be in danger. So, um, But like it's like a – it's a safety behavior that that's hard to get rid of but you can get rid of it. And it's like – you know you still have that safety behavior and the only way to get through it is to truly expose yourself and show yourself like, hey, look, we did it and like we'll be okay. Well, and that's why the one of the most um, 
successful treatments for OCD is ERP, which is mm-hmm. exposure and response prevention, um, which mm-hmm. I was talking about Kimberly earlier, who is coming on our show, who's an expert in ERP, which we have an episode back. It's like the first 10 episodes, one of them where um, we talk about OCD and ERP. So go listen to that. But um, yes, those are, are it's very helpful. Um, okay. So for stage three, okay, so stage one is we got that anxiety, we got those symptoms, and then we go around and then those anxiety symptoms, you know, create this avoidance and we just want to avoid. And then the next stage in the cycle is we get like a temporary sense of relief. Okay. So while using, you know, maybe some safety behaviors in stage two, that may actually provide some relief in the short term right? It may Mm -hmm. not be helpful in the long run, but this is because the more that someone avoids the situation, even if it feels better in the short term, the more they're reinforcing the behavior. Mm -hmm. So the Anxiety and OCD Center, um, they actually say something that's really, that was really interesting that I read. So they noted that negative reinforcements can just, can be just as powerful as motivators as positive reinforcements. Behavior, behavioral psychology principles tell us that any behavior that is rewarded, whether it's negatively or positively rewarded, is more likely to continue. People tend to be more familiar with positive reinforcement, such as rewards. Negative reinforcement means that an adversive stimulus is removed, and as a result, relief is experienced. In this context, the adversive stimulus is whatever is provoking the anxiety. Does that make sense? Yes. To you. So so the brain, by, the more you avoid, the brain is just thinking that that reinforce, like that's what you have to do. The more, yeah. You're right. But yeah. I feel like that goes with like kind of what I said earlier about how like we're, you're almost like telling it that it's right. 100%. Yeah. Exactly what you said earlier. So- even though the negative reinforcement may help decrease the anxiety at that moment, mm-hmm. avoidance becomes the only way to cope and the relief becomes increasingly short-lived and the symptoms worsen and the avoidance and the cycle just keeps going. So have you experienced that too? Like, is that something that you can remember or that where you have this like temporary sense of relief, but then like, it kind of just continues. Yeah, I think when you when you do your safety behaviors, you do get a temporary sense of relief. Like you feel like you, like good job, like you did good. Yeah, and then you're also not not as scared anymore, right? Because anxiety is just a in, very intense worry and fear. Yeah, it's an so imaginary like, you- like anxiety is actually this like just like a little dot in your brain, and like when you actually do the things that you're so like being a passenger in a car, like how freaking safe is that? Flying in an airplane, how freaking safe is that? But it's this little thought, this little tiny thought that's not even a fact in your brain that takes this huge control and creates all these scenarios of all these bad things, but the likelihood of it happening is probably less than you walking, you doing your daily walks with your dog and something happening to you. You know, it's like we we don't realize how 
little these fears are in the big scope of things, you know? It's kind of like I could spend like all my time worrying about, uh, you know, something happened to me on a plane, right? But remember what just happened to me? Like I had a kidney infection. You know how bad that could have been? Could, could I have prevented that? Could I have worried myself to not have that happen? No. That's life. And I think that's the hardest part to put into our heads. But it's like a lot of times the worst things that have happened to us in life, we didn't see coming. And I know that sounds morbid and that sounds hard to accept and hard to hear, but there, I think there's like a statistic on it. Like 99% of the things you worry about never come true. Oh my gosh. We waste, yeah. we waste so much time worrying and it's like, and if it does happen, we double worried, right? And what did that prevent? <laughs> it, like when you really think about these things, you like, you feel almost crazy because you're like, what was I doing? I know. I know. You're you're right though. Like that's that's the the part of our brain though that's not thinking rationally when we're at this heightened state, right? Mm-hmm. 99% of this won't come true, but it's that's why it's so important which is in my courses and in my book and just the way that I practice in it with my clients is that awareness piece of knowing your body and knowing the clues when you're starting to get to this heightened level. Because when you're able to say to yourself, okay, I know I'm getting to like a three or four, I need to practice doing some of these things. I want to just regulate my body and I need to do maybe some cognitive exercises, right? Like, okay, anxiety is coming. That's all right. Like, bring it on. I've done it before. I know it's fine. You know, I've been safe. I know it's just trying to scare me. But, you know, and a lot of that kind of reframing with your thoughts, that cognitive work, and then the behavioral work is, you know, doing those exercises. And so being able to regulate yourself when you're at like below a five on that scale, that's when you're really going to be able to come come down from it and think more rationally. Once you go mm-hmm. above a five and then you go higher and higher, that rational state, forget it. You're not thinking to yourself, well, 99% of the time, nothing happens. You literally feel like you're going to go crazy and you're dying and all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, so which takes us to stage four, which is basically heightened anxiety. So the cycle completes with continuous long-term heightened anxiety. And when avoidance of situations or emotions are connected to anxiety, the ability, the ability to tolerate distress decreases. And basically, the brain like latches onto all of these sensory triggers. They're like in your subconscious. So you can't, you don't really know, you're not aware of it. And all of those become associated with these like anxiety provoking situations. Mm-hmm. So basically what you were scared of initially that led to avoidance that worsens and the brain learns that when you're like just like you said before the brain learns that when the situation is avoided then the symptoms go away. So basically that's the cycle. Yeah, and just the symptoms of anxiety itself. yep and the symptoms of anxiety will be worse next time and the avoidance is more likely and the cycle just keeps getting stuck. I think educating yourself on this cycle is the most important part of the cycle. Okay. 
This is so crazy because first of all, you guys, I I loved this episode when Taylor actually suggested it because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm writing about this in my next book. So I'm writing another book. It's going to be for therapists to um, kind of work on with their clients and create a toolkit with them. And this is one of my chapters I'm doing about the anxiety cycle. And so I kind of just went through what I was writing about and- Taylor, you just hit the nail on the head. That's actually the next (laughs) paragraph I have is what is going to help break the cycle and how to manage the cycle. And one of the best things is to start with as a a clinician is to educate your clients um, about this cycle. And so I think psychoeducation is huge and recognizing this cycle is huge. I don't think that... um, there's not a lot of people that I, I that a lot of clients or even people on my on my Instagram page on the anxiety healer that they don't really understand or know about this cycle much. Yeah, no. I don't think it's something that you just like are aware. like when I was going through anxiety, it was just not something I thought about. Like I didn't I didn't recognize it, but like once I once I educated myself on it, I swear it's so powerful. It is so powerful to be like, "Oh, we're here again." Like, look where we're at. We're right here in the cycle. We can choose to take a left or take a right. If we take a left, we know exactly where we're going. If we take a right, we can get out of this. 100%. Yeah. And if you think about it, like the first stage is the anxiety, right? And the symptoms and all that. And the second stage is avoidance. So if we can work on, like I said before, you know, changing that patterns in our mind of what makes us want to avoid and like the behaviors of avoidance, then those other stages don't happen. Right, we're already breaking the cycle at that stage, at stage two. So psychoeducation is huge because it helps people understand where their anxiety, what their anxiety is about and like where it comes from. Right. And they you can develop an awareness of the patterns that you have in your brain, your thought patterns and your behavior patterns. And you know, you, you'll be able to understand just where those fears are coming from and then also develop a lot of insight into yourself. And, you know, as, as a cognitive behavioral therapist, you know, that is a huge piece of, of this um, healing and treatment is to rewire the way that you think, right? And reframe what you're, reframe the thoughts that you have that are connected to your fear and worry, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times I'll ask my clients, you know, Complete this sentence. I feel scared because I'm thinking blank. And sometimes it's hard for them to say, um, okay, yeah, what am I thinking about? Because all they know is I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm worried, I'm worried. But there's mm-hmm. always thoughts behind that, mm-hmm. right? That are reinforcing, like the thoughts are even reinforcing that fear and worry. So psychoeducation is huge. Um, and then depending on like how intense the, this anxiety is for you, there's a lot of different types of therapies that are amazing for breaking the cycle. So of course, I'm going to be a huge advocate for CBT, um, but there's something called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is amazing. Um, dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, which is amazing. That's very, um, that's kind of like an offset of CBT. I'm going to try mm-hmm. and get trained in that actually this year, DBT. And you can look these up. I, I'm not an expert in all of them, so I don't want to kind of I've heard give. really good things about DBT. Yes. And TB, DBT is actually really effective for um, trauma as well as EMDR. So EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, 
I actually met an amazing EMDR therapist at a networking event the other day. And it's just such an incredible, if you do the research, um, again, for trauma, uh, but also anxiety. Um, and it has to do with the reprocessing of your mind while your eyes move back and forth or you have bilateral stimulation. It doesn't need to be your eyes. It could be. Um, and then interpersonal therapy and psychodynamic therapy, art and music therapies, depending on the type of person you are and kind of what your treatment is, those can all be amazing for breaking the cycle. Um, and so I think one thing, you know, everyone's anxiety looks different. So I'm not going to say, okay, for this type of, you know, anxiety, you should use, you know, art and music therapies. Uh, there is research that shows that, you know, CBT is one of the most um, successful treatments for anxiety disorders, but also for like OCD, like I said before, ERP. So that's another one. Um, exposure and response prevention for OCD is is amazing in the research and EMDR for trauma and all that. Um, and so I think it's important to recognize that, you know, if there is this really intense long-term anxiety that this cycle and you are having a very hard time breaking this cycle, that you might want to just think of um, kind of reaching out and seeing what it can, what someone can do to help support you, like in a professional mm -hmm. sense. Um, have you heard of any of these other ones I just mentioned, like the other treatments, mm -hmm. therapies? Yeah. I've heard of like the eye movement being good for like trauma and situations that are really hard to get through. I've heard of, I've heard of DBT a lot recently, like people really saying it's, it's very effective. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, DBT includes a lot of, um, a lot of like mindfulness work mm -hmm. and um, really like shifting the brain to feel safe in your body and like some somatic work and stuff, mm -hmm. which I love. Um, so I really think I'm going to try and get trained in that um, probably after I finish my book next year. Um, but yeah, I, I think that you have to – the first step of even if you're feeling so out of control where, you know, maybe you have tried things on your own. Maybe you've listened to us. Maybe you've gone on our page um, and, you've, and you've read a, a lot of things and you've tried a lot of different things and, you know, maybe this – you're just still stuck in the cycle, mm -hmm. right? You know, I, I don't know. I just think it's it's important to you don't want no one no one deserves to like live like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think reaching out and and getting support and getting help is probably the hardest part of the whole situation. <laughs> I know you might be thinking, no, it's not. It's going to be like a like uh, confronting my triggers. No, like reaching out and. And really making a call and kind of just asking for help can be really hard. So yeah. if you're really, really stuck in this cycle, I don't know. That's just – I would say like the first step is really just – and if you guys are thinking like, well, what's the best thing for me? I have no idea. What is – should I try MDR? Should I try DBT, CBT? Like what are they? What are they? Please DM me. Feel free. I will – I do read – all of my DMs, not like every single day because I have so many, but I do go through them all at some point within like a week. Um, 
you can email the anxiety chicks at gmail.com if you have questions. Um, that's probably a better way. And I can tell you a little bit more about the therapeutic um, approaches. And if you're looking for that um, type of treatment, I can tell you more about that specifically. But um, yeah, I don't know. So where do you feel like you are in the cycle? Because I'm curious about your um, about your your experience with like how you broke that and where do you feel like you are? I, f- I feel like educating myself on the cycle, recognizing my behaviors, and then just exposure therapy was the best for a lot of those, a lot of the anxious thoughts I had. And yeah. then just, you know, finding the things that work for you and work for your anxiety and recognizing that at the most anxious points of your day is not the time to start working on your anxiety. I think a lot of us, we feel panic attack and that's when we're like, okay, I got to fix this right now. And then when the panic attack passes, we're not doing any work on our anxiety, right? We're not doing anything to help ourselves. We're just like, okay, life's fine now. Like I, like we just think it like poof disappears. And then we have another panic attack. We're like, why is this happening? And it's like, because we're not putting in any work outside of the very anxious moments. And the times that we're not anxious is actually the time to work on the anxieties. And it took so long for me to recognize that. And if someone else could take that and just do with it what you will, uh, it could be so helpful to you. And maybe even making a diagram of your cycle and what it looks like and how your thoughts normally look and how it usually ends up. And then looking at that page when you feel anxious and being like, oh, look where I was and where I'm at. What can I do right now with what part I'm in in the cycle right now? And just stuff like that, that it's just it's so helpful. Like just being in so, tune with your mind. 100%. So that's so interesting because that's actually one of the um, exercises for in my book is looking at those, yeah, looking at each stage and helping the client understand better, you know, their triggers and then their thoughts related and like what they're avoiding and actually doing the work together on these worksheets. Um, so... So yeah, that is that's going to be a huge part of this is to really kind of look at each stage, especially the first two, right? Because if you kind of work through the anxiety and you start confronting things, you, the other stages won't necessarily really be there, right? And your anxiety, heightened anxiety will go down. But yeah, I love that. Like like really tapping into that is so important and you know, my, my, the anxiety healers guide is really a, um, way to, when you are working with, if you are currently working with a therapist and you're trying to break that cycle and you're trying to confront things, um, the anxiety healers guide is really good for anyone that's in that like stage two, that's getting some professional help. I would suggest buying it and working with your therapist when you're starting to confront certain fears and recognizing what you can say to yourself, um, what kind of exercises you can do to help regulate your nervous system. Um, that's all in the Anxiety Healer's Guide. And I would recommend if you are kind of in stage two with a therapist or just on your own kind of confronting things, get that and then do some of those exercises daily when you are not like at a level five, six, seven, eight, do these exercises like when you're really regulated and teach your body that it can be safe even when you feel scared or worried. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. 
Well, great idea for an episode today, Tay Tay. Can I call you Tay Tay? <laughs> yeah, a lot I don't of people think do. I've ever called you that. Hey, <laughs> yeah. I'm starting. Like the most random people will be like, Tay Tay or Tay. <laughs> I think I like that. I actually love it. Tay Tay. Um, all right, y'all. We will see you on the flip side. Hopefully this helped. If it did, please leave us a five-star review. Please subscribe. Please share the episodes. We'd love to get our uh, the word out there about mental health and healing anxiety. So thank love you. Love you guys. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.